This morning, I want to um, let you in on what I believe to be one of the most destructive and dangerous lies from the devil that many of us human beings, but I can, I can say our culture in general for sure, have bought into. And that lie is that we are sexual beings. Now, some of you are going, oh, pastor, you're going to talk about sex again. <laughs> uh, and that makes you nervous. I get that. makes me nervous too. But stay with me. Some of you may not be so surprised by the fact that I'm talking about sex, but that I would make such a seemingly ridiculous statement that it's a lie that we are sexual beings. This is why I think it's so dangerous and why I believe it's from the devil. Um, as long as you as a human being allow yourself to be defined that way, you will be in bondage to it. Listen to me. The truth of the matter is, whatever you allow to define you will in a sense hold you in bondage. But sex is just one of the biggest ones. I mean, and the devil loves it when you put yourself in bondage to anything. He loves it. Because he can take almost anything and pollute it and pervert it in a way that just, that it just spins you around like a top. He just uses sex as one of his greatest tools to spin you around like a top. Now, having said that, I don't mean to imply that sex is a bad thing. Sex is a wonderful thing between uh, a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. It's a wonderful thing meant to be enjoyed. But even that, if, that's, if that sex defines you, ultimately, you will be in bondage to the devil. Because the fact of the matter is, everything that you allow to define you can be polluted and perverted into sin. Except for one thing. The only hope that you have to be free, ultimately, is Jesus. Now, I know you're sitting there, oh, that's, he's the preacher, he's got to say that stuff. I do have to say that stuff, but it's the truth. But I'm not going to just say it, I'm going to prove it to you this morning. In fact, in this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus is saying that very thing. The only hope that any of you ever have to be free is to trust in Him because everything else will hold you in bondage. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Matthew chapter 5, which is found on page, I think they told me last week it's on 963, is that right, in your church Bible, is that right? 963, and as you're looking it up, I'll give you a little context for what, what, what we're going to be reading today. Here in Matthew chapter 5, actually, this, Jesus, uh, Jesus is in the midst of preaching the most famous um, sermon ever preached in the world and is known as the, the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the favorite parts that most people have of the Sermon on the Mount that people love is the section that we have affectionately uh, declared the Beatitudes, which basically means where this is the part of the sermon where Jesus was, was speaking to the crowd, those who are blessed, Right? People love that part. And by the way, if it's been a while since you read the Beatitudes, 
Go back and read them. I'm not going to do it for you today. Go back and read them because you will discover that those who are blessed are different than what the world says are blessed. You know what I mean? If you don't, read it, okay? So anyway, people love that part of the Sermon on the Mount. The part that we're going to be looking at today, not so much. So, or if you're ready, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Here in Matthew, remember, he's in the midst of Sermon on the Mount. He's just shared the Beatitudes. He says, he's talking about who, who is blessed of God. And people are just, their hearts are soaring after hearing that. And he comes to verse 22. And he says, you have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. I told you I was going to talk about sex, right? You should not commit adultery. But I say... Anyone that has looked upon a woman with lust in their heart has already committed adultery. You see, this is where Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. But it gets worse. He says, he says, you have heard it say, do not commit adultery. But I say, anybody that's even looked on someone else with lust in their heart has already committed adultery. Therefore, this is where it gets really good. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to go without an eye than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You feel uplifted yet? <laughs> he doesn't stop there either. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. For it is better for you to go without that member than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What do you think? How do you feel? By the way, I'm going to say something to you that you need to hear. He means it. What do you think about that? It sounds so harsh and so, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But he means it. Now, listen to me. My guess is, you don't really know what he means. You see, what I'm relatively convinced, I did a lot of studying on this passage this week, which we hope your pastor would do before he gets up to preach to you, right? So I did a lot of studying, and you know what I discovered is that most Christians, most mature Christians, I would even go so far as to say that a lot of, of Bible scholars totally miss the point of what Jesus is trying to make in this passage. Because I think, I'm pretty sure from what I've read, from what I've heard, Knowing human nature, I am pretty sure that most people presume that what Jesus is talking about here is that sin is destructive and we should do everything in our power to stay away from it. Is that what you thought he was saying? Is that what you thought the point was? That's not the point. But if that's not the point, what is the point? This is what I think the point is. Jesus is saying, sin is destructive, but it is absurd for you or anybody else to think you have the power in and of yourself to avoid it. I mean, 
What did he say? He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What's the problem with that? You still got a left eye, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What's the problem with that? I still got a left hand, right? He, what he's saying is, you can't do this in and of yourself. Sin is destructive. But if you think you can do anything to clean yourself up of the mess that you have created with that sin, you're wrong. The whole time what he's doing, Jesus is, is kind of herding the cattle towards one particular chute. And he is the chute. He is the door. If you The only hope that we have of being made righteous or right is him. That's our only hope. That's what he's saying here. Now, you know, for those of you who are guests or visitors, we are doing this all church study. It's entitled, um, No Wonder They Crucified Him, right? And um, what I would suggest to you is that what he was preaching in this passage is one of the reasons why they crucified him. Now you're thinking, well, I don't get that. Well, why? Why would that upset people so much? I'll tell you why it upset them so much. Because primary, his primary audience is the Jews. Okay? And the Jews had built their entire religion. And listen to how I said that. I didn't say God built the religion like this. The Jews built their entire religion on the idea that it was their responsibility to make themselves right in the eyes of God. That's what works righteousness means. That it's my responsibility to clean myself up and then present myself to God. They had built their whole religion on that. And I understand, in some respects, I understand why they did that. Because have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, most people have. I didn't even grow up going to church and I had heard of the Ten Commandments. By the way, the Ten Commandments were intended as a chute leading towards the door, which is Jesus too, by the way. Because um, my guess is that if you've tried to live your life according to the Ten Commandments, you have failed. The whole time, he's saying, this is the expectation I have of you. God's saying, I expect you to live this way. And he knew you wouldn't. So the Jews, they okay, God's saying, These are, this is his expectations of, of righteousness. Well, if ten expectations are good, we're going to multiply that up to 613, and I'm not kidding. The Jews took the ten commandments, and they were so serious about righteousness that they expanded it to 613 commandments that you, if you were a good Jew, you were required to live according to. Because that's what righteousness requires of you. And here Jesus is saying, you're doing the whole, the whole thing you've done wrong. You've misunderstood the whole thing. This isn't about you making yourself right, cleaning yourself up so you can be presented to God. 
This whole thing was to prove to you that you can't. And the only way it's possible is through, through me. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Right? Now, lest you're setting up on your high horse this morning thinking, oh, those crazy Jews. <laughs> right? Regardless of what you say, my, my firm conviction is that you, me too, practically believe in works righteousness. We, we theologically can embrace Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, but there's something in us that thinks, I've made such a mess out of this, there's no way God can forgive me. I've got to at least try to make things better. And then maybe once I've taken a bath, you know what I mean, then maybe you do that, don't you? You are made worthy by the blood of the Lamb whose name is Jesus. And there's nothing that you could have done. No, no amount of anything that you have done that you can't be forgiven of because of Jesus. Do you understand me? Hear that word of grace today. You are forgiven. Grace is conditional, however. And the condition is you've got to accept it. You can sit and stew in your own brokenness and sin and pain all day long if you want to, but you don't have to. He has already paid the cross. You have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your brokenness and your sin. He sees Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, that's beautiful. And I hope that you are buying that from me because that is the truth. That's worth buying. But here's the wonkiness of human nature. And I mentioned this at first service. If you look in the Bible concordance, wonkiness is in there somewhere, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the wonkiness of human nature is that we, we have a tendency to swing from one extreme to the other. We go from thinking, it's all about me, I've got to make myself righteous, to believing, no, it's all about Jesus. Which, logically, if, if Jesus is going to forgive me no matter what the amount of my sin or what kind of sin, then it says in, in Romans chapter 6, this is an argument that goes all the way back to the Bible times. The argument is, well, if God's going to forgive me no matter what I do or how much I do it, then why not just do it up big? Right? It's the truth. He will forgive you. He already has. But something down deep inside of us that doesn't seem right, does it? The question is, where's the flaw in the logic of it, right? If it's true that Jesus will forgive me of no matter what and no matter how much, 
why would I not want to do it? Listen, because it's not, it's not complicated. It's the difference between forgiveness and consequences. You can be forgiven and still have to deal with the consequence of your sin. If you have your Bibles, turn real quickly or write this name. You know, if you don't want to turn to it, it's just a short verse, but write it down because it's a huge verse. The one that you'll want to keep in your memory banks. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Um, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, abstain from the lustful desires of the flesh. And when he's talking about the lustful desires of the flesh, he's not just talking about sex. You can lust after a motorcycle. <laughs> or shoes. Or drugs. I mean, you, you can fill in the blank of the things that we human beings lust after. Right? He says, abstain from the lustful desires of the flesh that war against your soul. Notice that that verse does not say, abstain from the lustful desires of the flesh because if you don't, you won't be forgiven. That's not what it says. You're forgiven. Jesus has already done the work on the cross. But when we choose to engage in the lustful desires of the flesh, we are engaging in a war that is not ours. Do you remember the song that the praise band sang at the first of the, uh, uh, the worship service? The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not your battle. But every time we choose to engage in the lustful desires of the flesh, we are engaging in a war. We are engaging in a, a battle that isn't even our battle. And when you engage in a war, I've never been in a war myself, but um, I've spoken to those who have. When you engage in a war, it's almost impossible to come out of a war unscathed. In some form or fashion, you will come out broken, hurt, and in pain. Abstain from the lustful desires of the flesh that are warring against your soul. That's why you don't have to. Why would you? Well, I'll tell you why you would. It's because at some level you like it. And so do I. And if you look at the lesson, the, the title of the lesson for this particular week that we're going into, is, it's called Patrolling Your Pleasures. That's the, that's the title of this week's chapter. And some people, when they read the title of that, that uh, chapter, their, their first thought is, See, God's just such a killjoy. <laughs> I like my sin. It makes me feel, I, I like my pleasure. It makes me feel good. The older you get, the more you'll understand what I'm about to say. Those things, as pleasurable as they may be, will kill you faster than anything else. You know what I'm saying? God is not a killjoy. 
God loves you. And he wants only what's best for you. And he's saying, why in the world would you engage in a war, in a battle that isn't even yours? In a war and a battle that's already been won. Why would you do that? It's because we're sinners. <laughs> but don't you forget that you have a choice. You see, every time that we engage in the lustful desires of the flesh, what we ultimately what we have done, going right back to the beginning of the message, ultimately what we have done is we've we have allowed ourselves to be defined by that thing, whatever it is, sex, motorcycles, shoes, drugs, whatever. And by the way, some of that stuff there's nothing wrong with in and of itself. It only becomes a problem when you allow it to define you rather than allowing Jesus to define you. For it's only when you allow Jesus to be the one that defines you that you are free. You are free indeed. This isn't rocket science. I don't even expect you to remember everything I've said to you today. Except for this. Jesus is the only one that will set you free. That will fulfill the desires of your heart. Just Jesus. How is that possible? Well, it begins, number one, by confessing that you are a sinner. <laughs> and you are. And so am I. It then leads to repentance, saying, Lord, I don't want to fight this battle anymore. I know this battle belongs to you and I give it to you. Repent and then invite Jesus to sit on the throne that is in your heart. See, everybody has a throne in their heart. Most of the time, you're the one that's sitting on that throne. And what Jesus is saying, what he's asking, because he won't make you do it, he's asking, allow me to sit there, would you? And then you'll be born again. And you'll be transformed. You'll begin the transformation process, which is called sanctification. The transformation that occurs by the Holy Spirit working in your life every day. Does that mean from that point forward, you'll never engage in the battle again? No. You'll do it through parts of every day, probably. But through those days, if you're reminded that Jesus, you're asking, you want Jesus on the throne in your heart. You want Him to be the one that defines you. The more victory you will have and the less pain you'll have to endure. And the more hope you'll have to share, which is Jesus. If you've never uh, accepted Him, today may be your opp opportunity to do just that. Right over there is our prayer room. Um, if you'd like to pray that prayer of salvation and lordship, be my privilege to sh share it with you. Uh, you don't need me to pray that prayer. You can do it all by yourself. But if you'd like to pray that prayer with your pastor, I'll be right over there. If there's something else going on in your life that you'd like to pray about, I'll be right over there.